got a big fluffy boy head and that he gets his nose wrinkled. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through their people. Join me on my raw safari. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Welcome back to the podcast that's hosted by a guy who talks constantly about animals, but still has a pretty hard time saying the word anthropomorphic, the Rasafari Podcast. Y'all, it is officially the fall. And I mean, okay, this is not new news. It has been the fall for a while. But um, I don't know where you're at, but where I'm at, and honestly where I've been since I've been doing a lot of traveling, this has been pretty universally true. It was not fall this year um, until about last week, and then fall lasted mm, roughly three days, I think, and then it became the winter. Uh, it's It's currently icing outside and, like, very cold, which makes sense because of the icing. But anyway, um, but I, I love fall. The fall is easily my favorite season. And so I am going to bring you a fall themed episode today. That's right, y'all. We are here to talk about an animal that really is associated with the fall. That's right, y'all. I'm talking about the one and only pumpkin spice raccoon. Yup, it was a dumb joke with a long setup just to tell you that we are talking about red pandas today. I know, I know, you're all incredibly shocked right now. It actually has been a minute since we've done a Red Panda episode, so uh, I know that a lot of my fans are always looking forward to those, so here you go, y'all. And um, not only does this episode talk about Red Pandas, but we also delve into a discussion about passion, possibly the most recurring theme on this podcast, but one that is always worth revisiting, just like pandas. And today, we are going to be visiting those topics and more with Lindsay Carubia, who is an animal care specialist at Beardsley Zoo. Now, y'all know that we here at Rasafari love us our time at Beardsley. It's always amazing, and I'm always so grateful to Lisa Clare, the person who sets these interviews up for me. So thanks for being awesome as always, Lisa. And if you listen closely to this interview, you'll actually get to hear Lisa laughing at us a couple times in the background because uh, Lindsay and I had a lot of fun and, and we're, we're a little bit goofy on this one. Uh, shocker, I know. But anyway, um, all the standard boilerplate for my Beardsley interviews applies here. I was on a handheld recorder. We were outside, so you're going to hear some traffic. And um, we were right at the panda exhibit, so you may even hear... Um, uh, some people in the background at a moment or two. It was it was a pretty quiet day, but yeah, it all sounds great, and you're gonna love it. I will tell you um, that there was about uh, oh I don't know seven minute clip of this episode that I had to edit out because a mother and daughter showed up, and um, you know we didn't want to stop them from seeing the pandas, and so we we stopped the interview. But then we started talking to those people a little bit, and then we started um, just kind of Lindsay and I were just chatting with each other while they listened in, and it was it was a really fun, really just kind of off the cuff moment. 
But because those people were there and being recorded, I can't actually share that audio with y'all. I can't make it a public thing. Now, for a completely unrelated thing, um, I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash rossafari, where you can support the podcast. And uh, sometimes, if you are a patron, you'll get, oh, I don't know, additional, unedited audio, maybe, from the episode? So, uh, yeah, that's completely unrelated to the part of the interview that I had to cut because of those people being there. Completely unrelated. Patreon.com slash Rossafari. Oh, and hey, while I'm plugging places that you should be going on the interwebs and otherwise, don't forget to make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast. Click the little subscribe or follow or whatever button your app has. And make sure you're following along on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rasafari, and on TikTok at Rasafari Pod. Oh, and here's an ad. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamers Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com slash studios. So, without further ado, here is my interview with Lindsay Karubia, an animal care specialist at Beardsley Zoo, who's going to talk to y'all about red pandas. Oh, and BT dubs. At the end of the interview, I did get to go in and hang out with the pandas, and you'll get to hear a little bit of the audio from that. Enjoy, y'all. <laughs> So why don't we start off by you telling me who you are, where we are, and what you do here. Uh, Well, my name is Lindsay Karubia, and I'm an animal care specialist here at Connecticut's Beardsley Zoo. And today we are talking about our red pandas. Shocker. Shocker that we're doing red pandas on the Rasafari podcast. (laughs) No one saw this coming. Yes, no. But um, yes, so we have have two pandas here. We do. But we're going to start off with one human. Tell me a little bit about your history and, like, why you're a keeper. Why am I a keeper? Uh, I – it was an interesting road to get here for me. Um, I went to the University of Connecticut thinking that I was going to go into pre-med and then I would be a doctor. And then I was there for a few months and I did some exploration of the field and I was like, mm, I don't think so. This isn't for me. So I sort of muddled – through my freshman year, trying to rediscover what I thought maybe I would want to do. I knew I wanted to still be in the sciences. Um, And I got hired um, for a lab position for the summer for a man who was um, doing his postdoc on uh, Nicrophorus bearing beetles. Okay. He was doing a taxonomical study of them across the world. Um, And we were doing DNA analysis. And so I ground up beetle legs for DNA for um, three and a half years. Um, It was wonderful. He was a wonderful mentor. 
Um, the woman whose lab I worked in was wonderful. All the other graduate students and undergrads that I worked with were fabulous. Um, so I learned about a lot about ecology, a lot about, you know, animals in general, a lot about working in a lab. And I loved it and I loved the experience. Uh, but I didn't necessarily feel like lab work was going to be my goal. All right. So the project ended and I was looking around for something to do for my last summer between my last two years in college. And I stumbled upon um, Roger Williams' website because they raise bearing beetles there. Yes, they do. And I've had Lou Parati on oh, the I podcast. Right? Who doesn't I love Lou? Love He's Lou. Amazing. amazing. Crazy bug man. And when I first met Lou, he was... He was still a crazy bug man. Like that was his, that was what he was doing at the time. Um, and I thought he was so cool. Um, and they had a summer internship program there. And I figured, you know, hey, I love these beetles. Like maybe I can get an opportunity to work with the beetles there. I just, you know, you fall in love with certain species. Yes. And um, so I did um, get that internship and I worked there for the summer. And I did get to work with American bearing beetles. And it was amazing. And oh, that's I awesome. loved it. Um, but I also, I remember that first day, and uh, it was me and another intern, and our job was to do a full clean on the tree kangaroo habitat. Okay, you're killing me right now. So tree kangaroos are <laughs> second only to red pandas in they my life. They are real cute. And I've, got, I've gotten to hang out with the ones at Roger Williams, and it, yeah. was, it was such a ridiculous experience. So cute. So, so that habitat at that time um, contained... Many, many, many barrels worth of shavings. And so this intern and other intern and I were given uh, 55 gallon barrels and tools and a hose and said, here you go, guys. This is what you're doing for the morning. <laughs> and at the end of the morning, I was like, this is the best thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> I love this. The, the tree kangaroos are in the next room. So we got to see them and just cleaning up after that. And when we were finished, I was so satisfied. And I was like, you know, I did this thing and these animals now have this clean habitat um and i was like i think i want to do this and by the end of the summer i was like i definitely want to do oh, this that's so awesome it was sort of you know i never i always loved animals but and i was but i was never one of those people that's like i'm gonna be a zookeeper when i grow up i never right. really thought that was a feasible career um but so it was sort of a winding path that got me here but i wouldn't have it any other way i love this job that's so awesome. Yeah, the bearing beetle story is so interesting to me. Did I you see that. that they are now seeding populations in New York State for the first time? That's awesome. Yeah, That's awesome. and again, it's coming yeah. from Lou and Roger Williams and just what you would expect. Yeah, but. and I just, they're just such an amazing species. And I feel like, you know, it's been great because they're a big, bold species. And when it comes to invertebrates, you kind of need that to kind of get the general public's attention. Um you know, it's really hard to get people excited about, like, endangered mites. Right. You know? Um, but if you've got this really cool beetle, you know, people can kind of latch onto it. Plus, it's called the American Bearing Beetle. So people, you know, latch onto that. It's our beetle, right? Right, right. So, um, you know, it's really important. And I think, you know, people don't think about the little animals very much. You know, these, the red pandas here, you know, they are the ones that people remember. Yes, know, we do. Yes, and yes, we do. <laughs> those are really important. I mean, conservation of any kind is important. Of course, yeah. Um, and our goal always is not necessarily to save this species, but to save their habitat. Right. Because when you save the habitat, you save all the species in that habitat. Um, and, you know, it is important because certain species really are keystone species, and you need those species in that habitat or the whole thing falls apart. So there is some importance to that. 
But sometimes those keystone species are not what you would expect. They're not always the big megafauna. They're not always the cutest or the boldest or whatever. Um, but you sort of do need that hook to get to get the public on board. And then once you've kind of gotten them going down that road mentally about conservation, then you can kind of show them these other smaller, browner, less exciting <laughs> animals, right? Look at this brown bird or this tiny spider, you know, but they're, they're very important, you know, in the, in the big picture. So I'm, I'm a big proponent of, of the little species, you know? That's awesome. So then um, how did you get stuck working with something as, as horrible to work <laughs> with as red pandas? I know. The fluffy <laughs> cuteness is terrible. I, can, I hate it. Um, well, I started out here. I was an intern here, actually, when I first started. Okay. Um, and I started out as a full-time keeper in the farmyard, and I worked there for a number of years. Um, and then I moved to the Rainforest Building. Um, and so these guys go along with the Rainforest Building. So even though they are Asian, um, at the time, they physically were next to the Rainforest Building. And so that's how I started taking care of them. Makes sense. So these guys, uh, when Roe first came in, um, he needed a home because he was housed with his mother at Franklin Park. And uh, they were redoing their habitat. And so they didn't have um, a great space for him to go. He was too old to really stay with his mother any longer. So we right. took him here. Uh, and this building had not been constructed yet. So he was in a temporary housing, which just happened to touch the rainforest building. And so by proximity, um, we got to take care of these guys. Amazing. So, and he is, I have, I mean, I do love red pandas. I love Barry. I love Mary. But Roe has got a special place in my heart. He's okay. just the sweetest boy. So tell me all the things. Like, really go into it. Because my listeners know these pandas. <laughs> And have screenshots. I have literally met people <laughs> that are Rossafari fans that have screenshots of your webcam or of the webcam nice. at Trevor, like nice. as their backgrounds. Yeah. Okay, so like, please tell me all about Ro. All about Ro. So he is adorable and fluffy. He is um, real shy boy. He's real hesitant. He's real nervous. Except for on days that he doesn't feel like being nervous and gets real brave. Okay. So he's he's sort of that way in his personality. He's hot or cold. Um, he is not great with new people. He kind of likes his routine. Um, but he's a real sweetheart. He um, He's just a nervous Nelly. He just always has been since the day we got him. Um, his, my favorite thing about him, appearance-wise, is that when he looks down at you off the edge of his platform, he gets a nose wrinkle. And it is the cutest gosh darn thing. Yeah, he gets this little one. nose wrinkle. And the girl, it doesn't happen on the girl. So I'm assuming it's because he's got a big fluffy boy head and then he gets his nose wrinkle. But it only happens when he peers down at you. Oh. And I love it. Um, and I love his old man ear hair tufts. He's got some really nice ear hair tufts oh, yeah. going there. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, so he is seven years old. Um, most pandas, as I'm sure if your red panda fans will know, are born in the summer in um, this part of the world, um, June and July, and that's the case for both of our guys here. Um, so he just turned seven this summer. Um, and these guys, it's sad, they're not particularly long-lived animals. So he's not young anymore. He's not ancient, but you know he is getting up there. Um, so he has slowed down a little bit over the years as he's gotten a little bit more mature. Um, and I don't know, he's just a fun guy. His favorite 
it's funny. So when we um, first got him, the only treats he would take were apples. He only would take apple. Um, and everyone told us pandas love craisins. And we did not believe them because he was like, absolutely not. I will not eat this craisin. I don't understand what this craisin is. It is not for me. Um, and then we got him a girlfriend a few years ago. Her name was Mary, and she was amazing. And she loved craisins. And so he was like, oh, craisins? I now love these. <laughs> so she must have told him, like, hey, buddy, you're missing out on a good thing here. So now he also loves craisins. Um, but, yeah, he mostly sleeps all day, and he loves to sleep outside in the winter. We often come in in the mornings if it snowed, and he'll be in his hammock with snow on him, which Aww. I think is adorable. That's awesome. Um, and some people actually worry about that um, because they're like, oh, no, he was out in the cold all night. But, I mean, these guys are super hardy. Cold yeah. temperatures do not bother them. Um, and he's got a really nice uh, fur coat, so um, he does keep that nice insulated layer. So the, the snow basically does not melt on them. So they just form a nice little crust of uh, snow, and then when he wakes up and shakes it off, and he's still nice and dry. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly what they do out in the world. Yep, yep, yep. So those are his favorite things. He's not, like, he's not a super active boy. He likes his bamboo. He wanders around, but his favorite thing for sure is to sleep in his hammocks. Oh, yay. So, but I love him. He's the yeah. best boy. That's awesome. And um, so these are fulgens, yes. right? Okay. Yep. Which are the, uh, the the smaller of the species. Yep. And often I find lighter. Yeah. Lighter. Yeah. They no. have, especially their faces tend to be much lighter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And they're just beautiful. I love them. Yeah. And so who's this other goober over here then? So that is Barry. And she is... Um, been here not even a year yet. She is 11 years old. Again, she just had her birthday. We had a, actually a very fun panda birthday party this year for both of them. Nice. nice. Um, so I don't know. Those pictures might still be hanging around on Facebook somewhere of their super cute panda birthday. Awesome. Um, and so she is a pretty old lady. She's considered geriatric at 11. Um, but you never know. Her fur mm -hmm. is great. Her teeth are great. Her nails are great. She is super active. No arthritis. So she's in very good shape for her age, which, which is, is awesome. fabulous. Yeah. I know um, uh, the oldest panda in the States right now is Luna at Cape yeah. May County. She's 20. Yep. So, you know, you could yep. have a, a lot of time left Yeah, with they definitely can get up there. They it's it's rare when you hit there. But, yeah. 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 And it's, it's tough because there's, there's not a great reason why they aren't super long-lived like most animals this size you would expect them to get 15 20 right but these guys tend to not they tend to be like 10 to 15 mm -hmm. and out in the know? wild it's less it's oh my like god eight. it's like six yeah, to eight. yeah. yeah. It's, not, it's not great um, yeah. but it's you gotta remember it's real tough they got a tough life in the wild you oh. know, they've got to spend so much time eating and then you know they're food for a lot of things people sort of forget that these guys are prey animals right um so but anyway so yeah so barry is super sweet so if anyone is watching on our cameras She's the um, one with the lighter face, and she is smaller, but it is hard to tell their size unless they're, like, right next to each other. But if you see a panda with a lighter face, it's probably Barry. Um, but she settled in really nicely here. So she, again, um, was sort of ousted for a younger lady. Um, it's true. She was ousted she, by, uh, from the Trevor Zoo yes. uh, by or for Betsy. Yes. Who, so, who, those of you that have listened, you've heard that story on the Trevor Zoo episode. Yeah, so she um, needed... A, you know, sort of a retirement facility. Um, and because, again, Roe is not super young, we don't um, necessarily expect him to breed at this point. He was with younger pandas when he was younger, and they did not successfully breed, although we don't know 
whose fault it was per right. se, if he is not viable or if it was his, the old female. Um, so, you know, it's unlikely that these guys would have babies. Um, and so since he, you know, they th thought he would be a good match for her, we know that he gets along well with other pandas um, in this habitat. And so she needed, she needed a nicer place to, to enjoy out her, her later years. So she came here and she seems to be doing great. Um, she's decently brave. Um, you know, she'll, she'll come over for treats. There's some mornings where she is just in your face and she's like, I absolutely would like my treats right this minute, please. <laughs> Um, you could just do those other things later, and right now I would like you to put those pieces of apples in my mouth, and that would be great. So um, she is much bolder. He rarely does that where he sort of seeks you out, but she does. Um, she's a little bit more varied in her diet. She will eat other fruits and stuff, but still, those craisins, man, they're number one. Uh, they're everybody's favorite around here with the beers they do. So um, that's definitely her favorite treat. And she will sometimes, if you've got a cup full of treats. So we use blue cups for our treat cups here. Right. Um, so that our animals associate that with their treats. So that it's one more visual cue for when you're starting training. Um, you know, typically deli cups are clear. So when even if they can't see the color blue, they see a solid deli cup. And so they can associate that with training. So, man, sometimes the second she sees that cup, she's right over there. But she can't see through it. So she'll try to see in. Because if you try to give her a piece of apple, but there's a craisin in that cup, she will hold out and be like, I'll just eat those. If you could just give me those craisins first, because I see them right there. So if you could just give me those first, that would be great. Um, but she's a real sweetheart. Our guys, um, we've had a lot of good luck with training with pandas. Universally, they're pretty good animals to train with. They're decently smart, decently food motivated. So usually you can get pretty far. Um, you know, they're such mellow animals in general that if, as long as you can get past the nerves... Um, they usually do really well with training. So she's learning here um, at Trevor. It's an interesting situation there because it is um, a teaching zoo. So they right. have a lot of turnover. Mm -hmm. So their animals there, while they clearly do get training, they tend to get um, certain behaviors trained over and over again by people that are learning how to train. Right. Um, so it's interesting. So the things that she knows, she does, she's, I feel like it makes her a very flexible animal because she's sort of been the teacher for right, these right. students that are learning um, how to train an animal. So she's very flexible in terms of like taking her cues and, and that kind of stuff. Um, she doesn't do a ton of behaviors for us, but we do do some. We um, mostly, our biggest one is scale. Um, everyone goes on the scale over there. Um, we do up so we can do visual of her belly. Um, we do a little bit of tactile. For these guys, we find that they get gooky ears. Um, so it's nice to be able to clean their ears out without having to knock them down. So we do work on ear tactile. Um, and she is getting better about that. Um, you can touch her feet to check her toenails and stuff like that. So she's been a really good animal. And she's a little bit older, so she's kind of been around the block. Um, so she's she's pretty good with people. She is Again, still a little nervous with new people, mm -hmm. but the keepers that she sees consistently on a daily basis, she's, she's a good girl. She's, she's a real pleasure to have. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, and then I noticed that there's a sign here saying one of these goobs is under veterinary care. So uh, what's going on? Yes. So Ro um, has uh, an issue with his leg. Okay. So um, basically what happened, as far as we can tell... Um, is that he sustained an injury near his shoulder and um, it healed. Um, however, it seems that it has um, affected the lymph flow in that leg. Um, and so he does sort of get a swollen leg. Okay. 
Um, and so this causes him to limp, basically. So um, he is under treatment for that. So he gets um, non-steroid anti-inflammatories to help with the swelling. Um, but it does make him limp. Um, from what we could tell, it does not cause him any pain. We mm -hmm. touch that leg. We manipulate that leg. We do... When he allows it, we do like little physical therapy where we move it. Nice. Um, because again, if you have a lymph buildup, that's what helps is, is movement. So right. we, um, you can see, I mean, obviously we do it anyway for enrichment purposes, but we do try to spread um, their food out quite a bit so that he like has to move, to encourage him to move around more, to move that leg the most. Um, but his, his lump is noticeable. So we want people to know that, yes, we have, we know that he's limping. Um, our vet knows that he's limping. Um, and it's, it's not necessarily something that we can fix because it, it seems like it's scar tissue right. that has caused this problem. Um, but that he is under treatment and we, we do monitor him because, you know, if he does appear to start becoming uh, painful or anything like that, you know, we, we do monitor that. So we want him to be, you know, happy and comfortable. And it doesn't seem to really affect his behavior too much in terms of like how much he sleeps or how much he gets up to eat. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but he does limp. So, right. um, and we have made, um, I've, people have been coming here frequently or if they do watch on our camera, um, um, you may have seen that we've added quite a bit of perching, um, because he does hop on that leg. Right. Um, we want to make sure that he has more options with wider perches and things like that. So that, um, it gives him just a little bit more of a stable, wider platform, um, because we don't want him to slip and fall because right. yeah. um, he doesn't. He doesn't use that leg all the time. He can, but again, like if you have a body part that feels funny, you're more likely to favor that. So, so that's what his story is with that. That makes sense. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, again, talking about how crazy fandas can be. Um, I think I've told like three people that I was doing this interview today. <laughs> and one of them immediately was like, I've been watching on the webcam and I noticed a limp. If you can find out what was going on. I was like, we'll see. I make no promises, but I mean, people are really, yeah. Yeah. And you know what is nice? People are genuinely concerned. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's never like, animals, what is Beardsley so. doing wrong? Right? They never that. It's all just like, oh, what happened to little buddy? And yeah. we know he's getting the best treatment, which yeah. is... And as far as we can tell, it's interesting because it's not like he had some... It wasn't a major injury. It was right. just in a bad spot, yeah. basically, that seems to have caused this issue for him. I, but... I currently have a limp, and I don't know what the heck I did. I honestly do. I, I've been struggling with this for days now, and I don't really know what no, I did. did. Yeah. But, yeah. So uh, maybe oh, I should talk to your vet before. Oh, that was a yawn. <laughs> it was a yawn. That was a good panda yawn. It's time for... Interrupting. 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 Interrupting John. Mm. Turf toe. It was turf toe. I played the bass drum so hard, I gave myself turf toe. Yup. Back to the interview. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So let's talk about this exhibit a little bit. Yeah. Because as you said, uh, the, the panda, well, Roe, was up uh, in Rainforest or at Rainforest. Yep. And um, this is slightly better. This yeah, place is amazing. It is. So, so tell me all about the this and, and the idea behind it and kind of help my listeners visualize Visualize. Yeah. So um, we love our red Habitat. We're coming up on, I believe, five years uh, since we opened this building. Um, so we um, have several sections for the pandas. So we have the outdoor habitat, we have the indoor holding, which is not viewable by the public, and then we have an indoor viewing, um, which the public can see into. So we have um, a main foyer, which the design I love. 
So it was designed to feel like you are truly walking inside the habitat with the pandas. Um, there's no glass on the front. You can see right in. Um, but it is totally secure. So pandas are escape artists. And if you've ever seen the news or looked up pan red pandas, there definitely have been red panda escapes. Um, they're just amazing climbers. And they are, you know, you get a bold one. And they're not great jumpers. But if they can reach enough, they will get out. So it is recommended that if you cannot have a significant moat in your habitat, that you have an enclosed habitat. So that's the road that we went here. We don't want to take any chances. Um, but we did design it as such that it does really feel like you're in the habitat with them, which is great. So um, the outdoor space, um, you know, we planted things that um, were either, you know, purposefully edible or, um, you know, so we, we planted a bunch of bamboo and while technically it is all edible for them, there are some species that they prefer over others. Okay. So they ate the ones that they liked. <laughs> and so what is remaining growing here are the ones that they didn't like so much. And they do nibble on them, especially in the spring when the shoots first come out, those they'll oh, nibble yeah. on. Oh, yeah. But we have a few patches of bamboo that have managed to survive that are just not, not prime panda snacks, apparently. Um, but we've worked really hard in here. So we have... Um, we sunk a whole bunch of vertical poles when this uh, habitat was built into some PVC in the ground. And we've used that to sort of structure all these perches. So, um, you know, they do spend some time on the ground. They do walk around on the ground, but they feel much more secure high right. off the ground, um, especially when we're working with them. So we do go in with these animals, um, you know, when we service the habitats and when we do training and whatnot. Um, and they just are much more comfortable if they're at like person eye level or higher. Um, they just have more confidence that way. And so you tend to get better training sessions in our experience. There are some pandas that are comfortable on the floor, but ours are not necessary, especially Roe is, is not one of those pandas. So um, we like things to all be high. So it works both for their, you know, for them and for us. Uh, so it's reachable for us to do training. So quite a bit of our perching is where we can reach it, um, but it's also high so that they feel secure. Um, and we like to have lots of paths. So we want to make sure that they can get from point A to point B two or three different ways. Um, because every panda is different. Every panda has different needs. Again, obviously, Roe, he's going to prefer a wider perch, a more stable perch. But Barry kind of cares less. She'll she'll go on the skinny things, things that wobble a little bit more. She's a little bit more sure-footed. Um, so we like to have lots of different options. We want to make sure they can get to all the places. Um, we planted a couple trees in here, which are really beautiful. They've really grown up lovely, um, which occasionally a panda will leap into. Uh, we've had a couple big broken branches because they just took a jump into it. Um, they can eat maple leaves, um, and these are um, Japanese maple varieties. Oh. So they are, you know, found sort of in the region, you know, that part of the world at least. So um, they do eat them occasionally, but they don't seem to be their favorite. So they've done really well. Um, so it's really nice. You know, we try to keep it very natural out here um, with the exception of the um, fire hose hammocks. Everything out here is, you know, branches. Right. Um, so we wanted to keep the outside, you know, as visually appealing, um, natural looking as possible and still be fun for them. Um, and then in our indoor... Actually, before we do that, yeah. one quick question. I noticed that you have some wind chimes. We do. Do they mess with them? Are they afraid of them? Do they notice them? They, I'm curious. I don't think they notice them too much. Okay. Um, they are, you know, as part of our enrichment program, auditory enrichment is always interesting. So um, they do chime if they um, walk on those branches because um, it makes it jingle just enough. Or if it's, you know, it's a wind chime. So sometimes just the breeze will <laughs> make it go or squirrels. 
you know, like squirrels. <laughs> Real popular with squirrels over here, and squirrels love panda food. <laughs> yeah, they do. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so it's just part of our part of our enrichment program. So they don't play with them. It would be really cute if they did. They, but they, they yeah. don't play with them. Okay, okay. We can go them. to the indoor part. Okay, so our indoor area, um, it's a really nice space. So it's it's pretty large, um, and the biggest perk is that it is air conditioned. So in our old habitat, which was designed to be temporary, we knew that was always going to be a temporary habitat. Um, we basically had a shed that came up against the mesh, and there was an air conditioner in the shed. The downside to that is that if they wanted to be in the air conditioner, that also meant they were off display right. uh, because the shed was inside. So um, one of the biggest goals here was to make sure that they had an indoor area that was easily viewable to the public. So um, we have these lovely um, windows and so people can really see all of the habitat. Um, they put a really nice high ceiling in here. Um, and so in here, while we do want it to, we do, you know, we do use still some branches and logs and stuff. Um, we were more focused on, because it is indoors, so, you know, you're not going to have a tree growing inside. So we were less focused on it looking particularly natural um, and more just focused on, you know, filling their needs. So um, a lot of the stuff in here is made of um, just regular 4x4s and 2x4s. Um, they have two towers, two tall towers, a medium-sized tower, and a low platform. Um, they've got a nest box in here several levels, um, planks. So I'm sure a lot of you who are fans know that pandas love to flop and if, you know, with the legs dangling. Oh yeah. Um, and so we call them their diving boards. Um, <laughs> so they like to go flop on their diving boards. Um, they actually don't do it too often because they flop when they're hot. And so because it's air conditioned, they don't flop inside very often. Right. Um, but they have it there if they desire. Um, they do have hammocks in here as well. They have a suspension bridge, which we love. And they actually use, we were, we were a little nervous that it would be too wobbly for them and that they wouldn't use it. Um, but, uh, and then we've got some bamboo ladders. We've got some wood ladders. Um, and so we just, again, we want to make sure that they can have several ways to get to every place. They have the high areas to lay in, to sleep in. And again, especially for sleeping, they prefer the highest right. possible vantage point. And that's just from, you know, natural, you know, they want that security of being off the ground, mm -hmm. less likely for a snow leopard to come eat you if you're higher off the ground. So, um, and, and again, we do have a nest box here, which they do use occasionally. Um, it's lower in this habitat, so it is not their preferred sleeping spot, but they do occasionally go in there, um, especially overnight. Like it's sometimes in the morning, they'll have slept in there overnight. Um, but yeah, so um, it's really important for them to be able to stay cool. So these guys, the heat and in particular the humidity and in new england obviously humidity is a big issue in the summer um you know it's not like some places where you have you know dry heat um but um that can be really tough so the the heat is one thing but the heat plus humidity that's when you start to have heat stroke issues um so um this has been great because they in the summer they really do love it we keep it like 60 low 60s um in the summer and in the winter, honestly, we just keep the heat high enough so the pipes don't freeze because mm. they like it cold. Right, so, yeah. um, you know, we make sure that it's, you know, 50 in there in the winter um, so that, you know, it's it's a little bit warmer. Um, and then they have the nest box with straw if they want it to be warmer still. Um, but they actually really do prefer the cold. Mm. Um, you could just tell their behavior in the summer. There's just like, just like people where you're like, oh, my gosh, it's so hot. I just, I can't. Um, but in the winter, they just have a lot more spunk, a lot more energy. Um, and also they're hungrier because it's cold. Um, yeah. their metabolic needs change. So they eat more, they forage more, they spend more time doing that. So, 
um, you know, they're just more active for, for several reasons. But um, so, yeah, so and then our third area that we have here is our indoor holding area. We have three rooms in our indoor holding. Each uh, two of the rooms have nest boxes. Um, two and two of them have cameras also in those nest boxes. So should we at some point have a mom that is having babies or any panda that we need to make sure that we can see, you know, kind of all the time. Sure. Um, and we do have other can cameras also in the back, not, not just the one that people can see, but we have other cameras that, you know, for the staff, um, so that we can monitor them throughout the night or, mm -hmm. or whatever, or, you know, just watch them be cute because <laughs> they don't do much during the day. So you want to see them be cute when they're being cute. It's fair, so, it's fair. Um, but so we have those nest boxes back there, um, and each one of those holding rooms connects to um, the outdoor habitat, and then one of the rooms connects to both the indoor and the outdoor habitat, um, and all those rooms connect to each other. So we have a lot of options in terms of if we needed to separate pandas, if we want one to only be able to go to the inside habitat, and one to go to the outside habitat, or everyone to have all the spaces. Um, so, you know, it's nice for them to have a lot of options. You know, mm -hmm. Zoo's, um, you know, one of the biggest pushes and. Um, I think something that's really important uh, is to give the animals choice. Um, you know, for years, people have talked about enrichment. For years, obviously, nutrition. All these things have been important. But it's, it can be a challenge from a, from a zoo standpoint because, you know, to a certain extent, we are a business. You know, we want people to come here. We, you know, need them to sustain us. You know, most zoos are yeah, either run by a city or they're a nonprofit. And so there's tends to not be a lot of money right. hanging around for a lot of zoos, especially small zoos like us. You know, so you want your visitors to come here and you want them to have a good experience. And when you come to a zoo, a good experience is seeing an animal. Mm -hmm. However, that's not always the best experience for the animal. So we have to try to find that happy balance between making, you know, the animals happy and the people happy. So the more choices the animals have, um, the happier they're going to be. And sometimes those choices mean that you don't get to see them. Right. So um, we tried to give them choice so they have these three areas to come to. So even though, you know, in the summer it could be 95 out, they wanted to come out, they can. Mm -hmm. You know, and in the winter it could be their preferred temperature, but they want to go inside, they can do that too. Um, but we really tried to make it so that they have, you know, four different beds, three different nest boxes, a couple hammocks. So that hopefully the choice that they make where they're comfortable will also be a place where you could still see them. Right, so, right. Um, you know, a lot of that here, you know, we want to give them a lot of variety, a lot of different options. Um, and because you have more than one animal, you have to make sure you have extra prime spots. You can't just have one good spot for them <laughs> to sleep and then expect that to work out, you know. So, um, you know, we work really hard to make them happy, but also to find that balance between where can we put a hammock that they're going to love, but that people can also you know, really get a good look at right. them. So, um, so it's an interesting balance that we find. And I think it's, it's great. You know, it's really important, um, way that zoos have moved and, and we're becoming more vocal about it. You know, our animals need, need the choice. Right. Um, and we see that a lot too with, um, like our spider monkeys, that's another newer habitat. And they, again, they have an indoor holding area. They have an indoor habitat and an outdoor habitat. And unless it's really, 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 really cold, they have the choice to go wherever they would like. So, you know, and we tell people a lot of times, you know, if you don't see them, walk around the zoo, mm -hmm. and before you leave, come back here again, and probably they'll have moved, and you'll probably be able to see them. Like, yep. animals tend to not stay in one place all day long. So just give them an hour, come back, and then hopefully you'll be able to see them. And they'll have made a choice <laughs> yeah. that, you know, that'll work better for you. But 
you know, our goal, and and hopefully people, you know, see this, um, you know, we want these animals to be happy and healthy because if they're not, um, then we start to lose our ability to work towards conservation. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we some of these animals are important, you know, for them to breed um, so that we can have a healthy population in captivity so that we can, you know, perhaps do reintroductions. Um, you know, some of these species. It's, reintroductions are incredibly difficult for numerous reasons, but... Mm-hmm. You know, happy animals do better. They have happier babies, and they live longer lives, and their stress is less. So, um, and I do feel like the public is sort of coming around to that. You know, I I feel like animal welfare, um, as well as human welfare, you know, these things are becoming more important in our society. Um, And so um, people are more and more understanding about, you know, I, I didn't see the panda today. And it's like, well, they decided they wanted to sleep somewhere else. And people are much more, like, you know, accepting of the fact that, you know, the, the panda got to do what they wanted to do. And then that's okay. Right, right. That's so it's cool. really nice. It's a, You know, I feel like it's it's good movement on the part of zoos. And I think it's important to be vocal with that mm-hmm. so that people don't understand why. You know, this it's it's about them. You know, you wouldn't like it if you didn't have choice, right? Yeah, so no, choice they, is huge. Yeah. They like to have that, too. And even if you don't take the option, right? Like you could go into two rooms, but you just stay in the room that you're in anyway. You still could. Mm-hmm. And for them, you know, you, sometimes you give these animals extra choices. Like a lot of our animals have access to their holdings under certain circumstances. Like these guys never go in their holding. Right. Because they choose to be out here. They prefer it out here, but they could. But if you shut that door, their stress level elevates. Right. Because they suddenly realize they don't have that choice. So even though they don't take the opportunity, they like to know that they can. So, so we really tried to think about that here. Like where could, you know, how can we make this, you know, the best for them, not only in terms of physical space, but, you know, psychologically, because especially we already had Roe, who is a higher stress, more nervous guy. And we really want to make sure that he would be comfortable here. So, and it works. He's, his stress level is greatly reduced. Um, and especially now, like we could watch him on the cameras and we can see, you know, that he's not doing stress behaviors right, like right. he used to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it's been great. That's awesome. I love this habitat. And, yeah. you know, I think it's really worked out well for these animals. Um, they seem real happy here. Yeah, no, it's it's gorgeous here. And, and I've never seen any, you know, stereotypic behaviors yeah. of discontent when I've been here. And yeah. again, I spend too much time <laughs> at a panda exhibit every time I go to a zoo. So, yeah. uh it makes sense. And, I, you know, it's like you said, Roe Ro gets to make choices. Like, just during this interview, he was flopped facing left, then he was flopped facing right, and now he's flopped upside down. So, I mean, you know, you know big, it's important. big important choice. It's important. So, um, conservation yes. uh, is a huge focus of the pod, as well as of what zoos do. Yeah. Is there any conservation organization you'd like to give a shout out to? And it does not have to be panda related. <laughs> Obviously, it can be. And we all know Red Panda Network um, is amazing. You know, honestly, but what are you passionate about? In my opinion, it doesn't matter what I'm passionate about. It matters what you're passionate about. And I feel like as long as you do your research and you, you know, if you hear about some organization on television and the news and a magazine, as long as you do your research and you know that they are an up and up organization, Mm -hmm. if that's an animal, if you like ducks and you want to support something that, you know, you know, uh, he does duck conservation. Yeah. If you think rhinos are cool and you want to do rhino conservation, if you whatever, I, I don't care what it is. 
if everyone picks their passion and follows their passion, there's enough people to cover all the different animals. So I don't think it matters what conservation, you know, right. organization you go with. You know, most of them, if they're local, if they're international, you know, as long as they're a good organization, they are making a difference. If you're saving like some butterfly that lives in New Jersey, that's still valid. So, you know, there's definitely quite a few that I support, but I don't think it matters. I think what is most important is for you to find whatever animal you care about, whatever habitat you care about and, and support it. It's the same, you know, I feel like in terms of, um, you know, environmental welfare, people always ask me, well, what should I do? Like, is recycling really important? Should I not use, you know, when they, when in Connecticut, we don't use plastic bags anymore, all these different things. What, what's, what should I do? Like, what's the most important thing? Um, and I always say, whatever is important to you, whatever you feel you could do that will help counts. So, you know, I just feel like all those little, whatever action it is that you are passionate about, that's what you should do because you're more likely to have a bigger impact right. if you're doing something you're passionate about. No, that totally makes sense. And uh, for those of you that zoned out during that, she said Red Panda Network. And <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. That was a great message. I really do appreciate that. It's time now, don't you know? We've come to the end of the show. But there's one tale left to go. You're gonna laugh and say, oh no. It's time for the Rock Safari Poop Story. Well, my favorite poop fact about pandas, since we're standing here, is that we always used to joke that they have Christmas poop. Because back in the day, we used to feed them Marion biscuits. And Marion biscuits are red. And they also eat bamboo. <laughs> bamboo is green. So they were very festive during the holiday season because they had green and red poop. But pandas are notorious for pooping whatever color things they eat. Yeah. For sure, that's a thing. Interesting. Um, I honestly think that some of the grossest poop, hands down, is anteater. Oh, okay. yeah. Their poop is really, really gross. And so we had anteater in um, our, our juvenile, not, not this current baby, the last baby that we had, lived in uh, Spider Monkey for a while before he went to his new facility. And so he would like poop in his water. That's an anteater thing. And then he'd lay in it <laughs> and be like, I'm going to have a swamp bath in this poop water. Uh, but then he also liked to shower. So then he'd let you hose him off. Well, that's good. He wasn't real picky about the poop water bath. So, I don't know. I must have a better story than that. I don't know. I have some gross maggot stories. Okay. Give me a gross maggot uh, story. So, I, this is a beetle story. Great. So, I um, did some beetle trapping years ago. Nicrophorus trapping, because Nicrophorus are the best beetles on the planet. In case anyone's wondering, Nicrophorus, everybody. Um, love them. Love them. <laughs> My favorite. I I like I bred one one summer because I wanted to see. So we were collecting them, and I just wanted to see if I could make them breed. So I put them a couple of them in a tank with a mouse. And then the mouse was gone. And then I had a bunch of interns who a couple weeks later were like, "Oh, Lindsay, something happened to the beetles. They're like a funny color." And I'm like, "Oh no, did they get like some fungus? Like what has happened?" So I go to look in the tank, and they were brown. And I was like, "No, no, they're babies. They're like newly closed beetles. Like before they hardened all the way, right, they're right. brown." So that was really exciting. That's awesome. But anyway, so while I was doing this study, anyone who's ever tried to capture something that eats dead things will know that you have to make something gross or it will not attract the animals. So, so what I used to do is I would like, you know, defrost some chicken and cut it up. And this was Lou's advice. 
And he'd be like, what you do is you cut up the chicken and you put it in the bucket, you leave the bucket out for a while. And then once it's got a little ripe, then you use it. Like then it, you know, you put it in, in, in the beetle traps and it'll attract the beetles. And so I had interns that used to help me on this project. They'd go out in the woods, they set the traps, they'd collect the beetles. We used to collect them, mark them with paint and release them. And uh, one of the girls did not put the lid tightly on the bucket of chicken. Oh no. Yeah. So then the next day, or what I'm not the next day, a couple days later, the interns opened this bucket and it like was just a bucket of maggots. <laughs> and the smell, I mean, rotten chicken does not smell great. Right. But right. rotten chicken that has been eaten by maggots, not good. Yeah. Not good. Yeah, not good. Not good. And they were just like, what do we do? And I was like, well, I don't think the beetles will mind. So just, just pick them out. They'll be fine. And it was fine. Amazing. But uh, yeah, those, those interns, man, they really had to get a strong stomach by the end of that summer <laughs> because the chicken, it was not good. It was not good. That's so aged, amazing. And I always called it aged chicken. And all the other staff is like, can you keep your aged chicken <laughs> far away from us, please? Because it does not, it does not smell good. And then the bucket, like we threw that bucket out. <laughs> Because <laughs> that smell does not come out of plastic. Yeah, no, no, yeah. So that, that tracks. That tracks. It does. It was. It was just all the beetle stuff at the end of the summer, and I just, I loved that project. I love those interns. We did it for five summers, and watching. And I'd get them because they wanted experience, right? You know, college kids. Mm-hmm. They just want experience, and most of them had not knew nothing about beetles or insects. They just wanted something for their resume. They got to be out in the woods all summer. You know, so this was a good perk for them. And I would go and I, you know, I'd start them off and we'd go to the traps and I'd show them how to set the traps and um, how to handle the beetles, how to mark the beetles. And then you had to wait. We used to use paint pens. So you had to hold them and you had to wait for the paint to dry. (laughs) Hold on to them for a second or that paint will wear right off. Um, And they always started out and they always wanted to try to pick the beetles up with tongs. Mm -hmm. And I had to, you can, you have to be real careful because you don't want to squeeze too hard with the tongs. It's hard to tell how hard, how much pressure you're putting on. So they would always want to start out with the tongs. And then they realize that you're like chasing the beetles around this little cup with these tongs and it's like impossible. And they just reach in and pick them up. And a lot of them had to get brave about reaching in. And then of course this rotten chicken smell. Um, but like every single one of them, by the end of the summer, they just were like, this is how many beetles we found today. And they're holding them and they're taking selfies with their beetles. <laughs> and, and, and just watching that passion be ignited mm-hmm. for for inverts, you know, for these, and I mean, they are cool beetles, but then we'd catch other things in the trap and sometimes they'd find something new and I'd get all these pictures of like, what is this insect or what did we find? There's something else. We found lots of rose beetles and pill bugs and sow bugs and they used to tally all of them, but just watching these kids that started out like 10 feet away from the trap peering like this and being like, what did I get myself into? And then by the end of the summer are like sad to not be doing it anymore. And I really got into it, you know? So I always used to tell the kids, I was like, because the first day that you bring out that chicken, (laughs) I keep going back to the chicken, but unless you've really smelled chicken that's been sitting out unrefrigerated for several days, like you don't know. Yeah, no, I don't want And it is, it's like a real turnoff. And you know, these kids would be like, I honestly don't know if I can do this. Like, this is terrible. But then by the, they're, by the end of the summer, they're like, what chicken? They're flicking the maggots off with their, <laughs> off their arm, and they're moving on with their day, and they no longer care that they smell like chicken at the end of the week um, because they, they 
they did find the passion for those little creatures and stuff. And, and they would come back to me because we often were in places where like along public hiking trails and things. And so you'd get, we had signs out, you know, because when, when you bury the trap, there are pitfall traps. And then we put like little, little aluminum tents to keep the rain off. And so it looks like trash. So we had signs up that saying, you know, this is, you know, DEP approved with our number and our information right. if anyone, you know, was interested. And we did have a couple of people call or email that were interested in what we were doing. Um, a lot of, you know, mostly they were people that were shaking their fist, angry that there was tinfoil in their woods. Um, but in person, the number of people that if you were out there at that traps and people would stop and be like, oh, what are you doing? Um, and then, you know, to be able to explain to this like random person, like, oh, we're, we're looking for, for beetles. We're doing a survey to see what lives here. And you show them the beetle and their dogs <laughs> sniffs the rotten chicken. <laughs> Um, that was the thing. I think a lot of people was like, why does my dog always want to come over here? And, you know, cause they smell like food. It's rotten chicken. It's rotten chicken. So, um, but you know, and they, all of a sudden I'm getting these reports. Oh, this, this, these people came and they were so excited to see the beetle. We had beetles to show them and I got to see the beetles. And, and then they're telling me, you know, there's certain species that were more common than others. And they'd be all excited when they found one that we didn't find very often. And I don't know. I just, for me, those moments are so important. And, and to, to, even, if, even if they don't go in to, to, to zookeeping or animal, anything animal related, you don't lose that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know. Clearly, when, because this is a Red Panda episode. <laughs> so but no, but I am so passionate about passion. We talk about this on the podcast yeah. all the time. And passion, like hearing that is amazing. And I'm loving it as much as I'm going to pick on you for it at the same time. That's fine. But, um, no, but I genuinely love, like when you, like you said, when you find what your passion is, yeah. it, it matters so much. And I've been fortunate to do that twice in my life now, both with my drumming career and with, yeah. with this animal stuff. And, um, yeah, no, passion is everything. And the, the ability to ignite that in people yeah. is why I do this podcast and why I think that sharing keeper stories is so important. Yeah. And, and that's amazing. I'm so and glad I, you, you shared know, but that. I think that what comes back around because, you know, as, you know, most of these kids, like I said, they were college kids, which is like a sub-adult in my opinion. <laughs> Um, you know, an adult, but not quite. Um, but when they truly, you know, are adults with, you know, the income to, mm -hmm. to do something, you know, and you've got that extra $20 in your pocket and you remember like, Hey, I did that thing and it counted. And now I can give money or time mm -hmm. to something else that counts. You know, I just, yeah. you just don't lose that. You don't lose that, that love for nature, that love for the environment. Like once you have that, that doesn't go away. Nope. Yep. You know, that's awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much for taking the time no to do this. Problem. I appreciate it. I then asked Lindsay if it would be possible to go back and hang out with the pandas for a couple minutes and take a couple of cute close-up pics to uh, promote the episode with. Lindsay uh, hemmed and hawed for a second and then offered to send me pics that she has taken, but I pointed out to her that the rule on Ra Safari is I only post pictures that I have taken, and she laughed hysterically and very kindly, she was not at all upset about it, but did point out to me that that was a rather self-serving rule, which, um, <clears throat> guilty. But uh, here's a little audio of um, me being excited about meeting pandas. He's amazing. He's so gorgeous. 
is extra cute. Like they're all cute. Oh, yeah. His face, he's got like, you know what I think it is? He's got like a baby face. Yeah, he really does. Hi, bud. What's up? You're so cute. You're like me, I'm up. Look how up I am. He went down. Hi. I have, I have seen you so many times. Oh, so good. <laughs> Her look at this. Oh my god. She's like, what is happening? What is happening? Do I know you? I don't think I know you. <laughs> oh my god, they're just amazing. She's getting pretty good, but sometimes she's like, if there's a stranger, she's like, I don't think so. I think she's like in her favorite spot. Right. Also, I think you being here probably helps. I mean, not that anyone would be in here without you, but. You know, that was a dumb thing to say. Never mind. Let's strike that from the record. Well, I mean, she sees people outside. Yeah. I know. Yeah, they're really good guys. I have to say, in the summer, people are, all the keepers are like, I wish I had to care pandas because oh, of the air conditioning. Yeah, it's nice in here. <laughs> how, was, uh, how was Mary? What was she like? I never got to really... She has just the best personality. And that was the point at which I had to turn off my recorder because I needed to take pictures of pandas. Ah, it's a it's a hard life that I live. It's a it's a hard life, but somehow I get through it. I am incredibly thankful to Lindsay for sharing not only her pandas with me, but uh, her passion and all that discussion about the uh, the Beatles was was so great. I personally have spent thousands of hours talking about my passion for the Beatles, but that's the Beatles with an A and there's a George and a Ringo and a Paul and a John and uh, that's a little different than what she was talking about. But I just, I loved that. And as much as I liked picking on her for it a little bit, I loved that in an episode that was supposed to be focused on red pandas and had a lot of great red panda stuff, she got so passionate about Beatles, because that's her thing. And I always say on this podcast that we all need to have our thing. And that is what will make the overall conservation world successful. Anyway, do make sure that you go to beardsleyzoo.org to check out all the cool stuff at the zoo, including the panda cam, which I guess I was on. I was on another panda cam since I got to go in and meet those little goobers. That's always fun. And uh, also you can follow them on the social media networks at CT Beardsley Zoo because like Connecticut and stuff. Well, okay, not and stuff. It's literally because it's Connecticut's Beardsley Zoo. But yeah, anyway, you get the point. I want to take a minute to thank my Red Panda patrons, Laura Shank and PJ Bevan. And um, finally, would like to remind you all that the word credits backwards is Stiderk. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.